0: families are the prime collaborators. They are the prime teachers of their students Mm -hmm. and everything we do should be supporting families of all kinds support their educational program for their kids. Lots of that stuff is happening at home. Right from the beginning our program has always had a family focus.
1: From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman.
2: Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman, the Outreach Director at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. My journey in this field began 13 years ago when my husband and I had our middle child, Eddie, who happened to be born blind. He has optic nerve hypoplasia. And we went through the experience that many families do where they don't really know what to do next. He literally was the first blind person we'd ever met, which isn't uncommon for families like ours. And we started by just asking a lot of questions and trying to figure out where to go next. We immediately became surrounded by some compassionate, articulate practitioners sitting in our living room and giving us a lot of advice and helping us learn how to parent a child that is as unique as he was and still found ourselves wondering how is he going to learn once he leaves our home? What's school going to look like? How is he going to learn how to read? You know, what's he going to do for fun? which is when I decided to go back to school to become a teacher of the visually impaired. And I went ahead and signed up at Portland State University and got my training and then went out and worked as an itinerant for a few years. And even then wondered how are families and professionals navigating these systems for our kids and what does special education look like as a whole and how does it work? And decided to go back into school for educational leadership to learn more about administration. While doing that, I was working at the Washington State School for the Blind and learning all about Washington and the educators and the families that I really grew to love. After doing that for a while, we decided to make a family transition to TSBVI. We moved down here so that I could be the outreach director, which required me to learn many new systems. As I'm navigating the process here in Texas, I've decided why learn by myself. I'm sure there's lots of people that could benefit from this knowledge. So that led directly to this podcast. Our hope is that the podcast will be a dialogue with families and professionals that will kind of help us navigate resources for our kids and our students who are deafblind, blind, or visually impaired within the state of Texas and hopefully beyond. So I'm excited to bring you our first guest, who is my predecessor, Cyril Miller. I was a teacher of students with visual impairments
0: in San Antonio and then in Austin. Then I went back to graduate school in uh, public affairs, public policy, and found that I really missed education. (laughs) I really missed special education. At one point in that journey, I was working at the city of Austin, and I was looking at job openings around the state and found the School for the Blind. So that job was to work for the superintendent. So when I came to work at TSBVI, I came as the executive assistant to the superintendent who was Bill Miller. But all my friends were from the f- field mm-hmm. of visual impairment. All of my friends were itinerant teachers around the state. Yeah. Uh, so I was very much in touch with them. I kept getting requests. They kept telling me technology, we need new technology. Can the School for the Blind help us? So I knew Jim Allen, who was here, and he and i helped put together our first training on the bex system hmm. braille edit it was one of the early early computer programs for uh, making things accessible for kids with visual and adults with visual impairments and we did a training huge response from people yeah. and that reconnected me kind of with my my friends in that role and Part of what grew out of that and the interest in more training was, well, how how do we organize ourselves for that? We already had a deaf-blind outreach program. I was going to the deaf-blind symposium Mm -hmm. uh, way before I came back to TSBVI. Hmm. We already had a small program. We had a a small early childhood outreach program, half-time, one person. Uh, but we didn't have anything general. And so the school did lots of needs assessments and went around the state asking people, what would you like? And they said, we would really appreciate a coordinated effort to help us with kids. So Uh we put that together and and I applied. (laughs) Then you became in charge. Then I became That's in charge. That's how it works. That
2: is, that
0: is, exactly. So
2: at the time, was there anybody else in Texas doing professional development? We had the service centers. So the service centers
0: all had a VI consultant at Okay. Them. And just like today, some of the service centers were uh, providing direct services, although right now it's just really pretty limited. Mm-hmm. other than in O&M and some service centers were able to provide training but many were not. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of funding or collaboration amongst mm-hmm. them to do that. They were the, amongst the people who were saying let's get together, let's do this together as a joint effort.
2: It's interesting that technology drove that. That's, it seems mm-hmm. to always drive the most creative solutions right. in our field because it's the one, the one that changes all the time is the technology needs of our kids. Here we are doing a podcast. Right.
0: Right? We <laughs> couldn't right. have done that back in the day. We could have, but we didn't know how to do it and the technology yeah. wasn't there. People weren't walking around with earbuds. This program grows based on needs. So uh, we started out, we incorporated the deaf-blind outreach team. We incorporated the early childhood and expanded it. There was nobody doing support to all the OMs at the service centers mm-hmm. and in local districts. So we added first O and M and VI and technology. But then mm-hmm. the Texas Education Agency was going through a restructuring. This will sound familiar to you, even though you're new to Texas. <laughs> yeah. Periodically, uh-huh. things things get revamped, and the at the education agency at that time, there were three people who were in charge of kind of watching out for. They also did monitoring of programs for kids with students students with visual impairments, and they were being told, "No, TEA doesn't have that role anymore. We don't do content-specific stuff. We're going to give that function." a service center. But the people at TEA said, you know, let's make it a statewide function. Initially, that went through a service center. Now it comes directly to us. So we inherited APH materials. Mm -hmm. So we are the coordinator for orders for APH materials. We inherited a personnel prep focus, which mm-hmm. TEA actually wanted to do, but at the time wasn't able to do. We just kind of created that when they came over. Mm-hmm. And we took on the count for students with visual impairments and the students who are deaf-blind, which has gone back and forth, but came to us when TEA restructured. So, oops, new functions. Yeah. And then we hired people to do surveys of the state and find out what was needed. And one thing that was needed was a uh, coordinated effort to train together. So this is professional development again. Mm-hmm. And so the statewide programs, the Texas Focus Conference, came out of that through the service centers to us. And so that became one of our jobs, mm-hmm. basically, was to respond to that. What else could we do that goes beyond professional development? Well, the mentor program. Oh, yeah. There's another one. <laughs> it's a biggie. So, yeah, it's a biggie. There was a push to help support personnel prep in our state, like many states. We mm-hmm. had uh, diminishing numbers of students attending. The need for teachers keeps growing. The funding for the university programs decreased. And then the big kicker was that the University of Texas program with Dr. Natalie Barriga mm-hmm. folded. Mm-hmm. And there was a big concern that what, what would happen if the other two, SFA and te- Texas Tech, Folded as well. People came together, this is what we do here. (laughs) We say, here's a problem. We come together and we try to solve it. And uh, one of the ways that we decided to solve it was to apply for and get additional money from TEA. It was probably IDEA money that set up online programs for Mm -hmm. teacher training, Mm -hmm. which we hadn't had in the state at that time in the field of visual impairment. We got a million dollars and it went through Region 11. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing program because the two universities that were left out of the three had to work together, have common courses, common course titles, common course curricula, Mm -hmm. and through that program we created an online presence for training for teachers, which we absolutely need in Texas, yeah. obviously, given yes. the geography. Yeah. Especially because our university programs are in Nacogdoches and Lubbock. right? <laughs> not very central, not, not all that easy to get to. Right. So we created the online courses, and for those three or four years, students could go to either college through these courses. They usually were a blend of um, electronic access, I don't remember the technology we used at the time, and in-person meetings, typically at service centers. Mm -hmm. And so we did that, and as part of that grant, we built in a mentor program, and that's our responsibility. So yeah, we took on the mentor program when that grant happened. The online courses have continued. The universities eventually, of course, were able to split and go their separate ways. A large part of the funding for the university programs, not their entire funding, comes from TEA to the School for the Blind and we disperse it. Wow. So we have that role as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've told you about that.
2: <laughs> I'm not sure, you've been telling me a lot lately. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Huh. So another thing that I've noticed within the outreach program is a lot of work with um, families. Did you want to talk to that a little bit? Yes, and
0: that's uh, one of the gifts of working here. Mm-hmm. I think the I don't know the belief system, the value system that literally everybody in outreach, and I, and I would hope and, and believe across the school, mm-hmm. is that the families are the prime collaborators. They are the prime teachers of their students. Mm-hmm. And everything we do is should be supporting the family unit and helping the family units, families of all kinds, support their educational program for their kids. So we're all looking for a comprehensive, well-rounded kind of educational environment. The expanded core curriculum, of course, comes you know, right on into that. Right. So I remember Phil Hatland talking about the expanded core curriculum and saying this is what the teacher of students with visual impairments ought to be all about. Mm-hmm. And we came back to him with, well, uh, maybe our role is to help the family to understand <laughs> how to help the, their kids. You know, social skills, rec leisure skills, mm-hmm. grooming, lots of that stuff is happening at home. Mm-hmm. So right from the beginning, our program has always had a family focus. We had uh, the DeafBlind Project has always had a full-time family specialist. Mm-hmm. I've been called different things. Now it's called family engagement specialist. So when we started the VI, when we started the outreach program as a, self-contained kind of unit here. We had a family specialist Mm -hmm. and we always have. Pretty much we've continued that throughout. Mm -hmm. It's also one of those things that at the local level is incredibly hard for local teachers to be able to organize their lives and their work and their caseloads to have enough time to support the parents. Mm -hmm. It's not best done. There's a lot that's best done at the local level. Then there's some really important general information that we don't need each teacher to have to recreate. And then, most importantly, I think, is for families to meet each other mm-hmm. and get support. And so, we help support five family organizations. We're very wow. active in the Deaf Blind Multi Handicap Association and the Texas Chargers. We're very active in TAPFI, which is Texas Association of Parents of Vis- Students with Visual Impairment. I think they use children. <laughs> um, and uh, then there's Texas Hands and Voices in the deaf community and there's the parents of blind children that's a kind of an offshoot of nfb Mm -hmm. in the texas group and and we try to be linked to aligned with and involved with all of them it makes such a difference
2: yeah yeah well i've uh, noticed personally in many states that there aren't any parent organizations Mm -hmm. and there seem to be many here and that are also very active why why do you think that is in texas one of the things about texas that i love, you
0: know, and I got here late, I, I got here as a college student, uh, is this sense of go do it, you know, go mm-hmm. get it, fix what's broken. There is a there is an independent streak here that is formidable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I think that's kind of the underlying. The next step is that th- there has been a very strong agency support, so when we had the Commission for the Blind, now it's HHSC, a blind children's program that steps in right when those kids are identified wow, and supports children. Great. And that has been incredible for yeah. families. And then there has been the School for the Blind mm-hmm. and our program, which provides explicit training. We have done, used to call leadership training and now call engagement training or um, for parents. So we really have set about trying to help parents who want to do something not just for their own child, Mm -hmm. but beyond that. Many of the leadership in those organizations I named, many of those folks have come through our leadership training. Mm -hmm. And I think it gave them the confidence. Certainly it gave them the networking. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so I, I think that's, I'd like to take some credit yeah. for those organizations. Yeah. And then we really, really help them. And I, I think you have to. I don't think it's fair to say to a family organization, just do it, just run on your own. No problem, you can do this. Because it's hard, Yeah, you know, and their kids need to take priority. And at different times, any given parent needs to step away, take care of their family, and then maybe come back in. Mm-hmm. So knowing that kind of uh, rotation of families in and out often of these organizations. There needs to be kind of an abiding resource. Mm-hmm. And I'd I like to think that that's what we've partially been.
2: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and I, maybe that's the key, because in a lot of mm-hmm. states I haven't seen... Um, professionals or um, you know different entities that are made of teachers and administrators really support the family programs they right. they we like we always like them yep. and yep. we encourage them and we we love to see fam- families engaged mm-hmm. but um, maybe that's the key maybe that's, that that's is. a maybe, that's a great yeah. point yeah So, uh, you know, you've obviously stayed in your role here for quite some time. And I'm noticing that's a trend around (laughs) here is that people are uh, very um, passionate about TSBVI and and the work that's done here. What is it about the outreach department or TSBVI as a whole that inspires such dedication?
0: I have thought about this a long time because before I came here, I was never in a job more than three years. Yeah. And I didn't expect to be in the outreach job or at TSB more than three years, because that's kind of who I was and mm-hmm. I like moving around. But the way the outreach program works, and I think the campus programs as well, is that it's really all about innovation. Mm-hmm. So there might be two days that are somewhat similar, yeah. but there's a freedom to come up with a new solution and try it that is very unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we really get to try things out. And that is, that's powerful. It's pretty heady, because yeah. you get to innovate and yeah. try. If it doesn't work, that's OK, because there is the permission to fail. Mm-hmm. The other piece, I think. Uh, is, and you've seen some of this in your first few weeks, Mm -hmm. is the level of collaboration with people around the state and beyond, but around the state, is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And so, if you get this great idea, then you reach out and say, hey, would you like to try this? Our our early literacy project is something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had this idea on how we could support families with young emerging braille readers and wanted to develop a model that others could use that would be you could replicate it, and it wasn't expensive, and anybody could do it, and we wanted to try it out. We had four service centers saying, oh, oh, let me, let's me, let play. We'll do it. You know, we've got a group. That's, we had to select. It's awesome. Yeah. So that cool. kind of uh, camaraderie mm-hmm. is, is great. Mm-hmm and it keeps you going and it, and it makes it exciting.
2: I'm seeing firsthand, see. it's the networks. It's, it's the networks. Yep. It's the professionals and it's the networks and mm-hmm. um, there's just so much in place that it, TSBVI is a piece of the puzzle, but right. you, but you're not carrying the whole state and it's just this shared community. Yes,
0: and, and that has been built over a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we had people at TEA, they probably they started it, and yeah. they began when they met. The service center specialists would meet together. They invited TSB to the table, mm-hmm. and they invited the agencies to the table. And I think that was really, really rare for the education agency to do that. Yeah, I think it was those individual people. It was Marty Merle. It was Chuck Russell. People before her, uh, who saw that. In it's such a tiny population, we need to hang together. Yeah, and and so it has. Always been that way. We have always worked really closely with the related agencies, and then I'm an itinerant teacher. In mm-hmm. my heart, I'm an itinerant teacher. I've yeah. never left that. And uh, most of the people in outreach, not all, have been have come from itinerant jobs, but that's our world. We live with those people in the in the districts, and we see how isolating that particular space could be. Yeah and how exciting it is for local districts to get the support they need. Yeah. So there's a level of, of mutual admiration that goes on. Mm-hmm. I love going out and working with a teacher and seeing their kids and seeing what they're doing, getting new ideas, and they seem to appreciate having somebody come out and say, oh, I saw something, here's a resource. Mm-hmm. So we, we help each other so much. Again, I think that builds relationship.
2: Yeah. Where where do you see the field of blindness and deaf blindness education headed? Or what are sh- some of your projections for ah, the future? Well, as long as it, this won't
0: ever be quoted back to me. <laughs> well, up and down, you know, up because when I first started as an itinerant teacher, local districts were just starting to have local programs for VI kids because of uh, Public Law 94-142, mm-hmm. Education of the Handicapped Act. Mm-hmm. That's a long time ago. The local districts didn't have a clue. There were very few kids with disabilities. They didn't, they hadn't had blind or visually impaired kids. They had sent them to the school for the blind. Right. I started in San Antonio in the Northside ISD district, and uh, they had sent all their kids to one school district within the San Antonio area. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a humble beginning. Yeah. Um, and and the good news to me is that you walk into any any district and really actually in Texas some of the tiniest districts are the ones that I love the most because mm-hmm. they're so creative and so inclusive for their yeah. communities um, you walk in and disability is front and center it's fine it's mm-hmm. it's part of the fabric of every community life in a way it wasn't before yeah. and I think that's amazing I uh, we mentioned technology earlier right you know, what can you say? <laughs> yeah. It's like every day a new possibility. And yeah. all of those mean that our kids can access education Rant. in a way they couldn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, we would be weeks behind getting books for kids. Mm-hmm. Now you have instant access, potentially. Yeah. And that's going to keep getting better.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So access is getting better. I think social awareness overall at the societal level, at the educational system level is getting better. I'm really positive and thinking positively. I think the teachers nowadays are so much better than I was in my be- in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They have more knowledge, they have many many more tools yeah. than we had in the in the beginning. Now the problem is there's too much. It's hard to know what to do. You have, but you have so many options, right. and a creative teacher, and we have lots of them, can really make a huge difference for kids. So I don't think that has changed, but I think teachers have more skills and more resources, and that's good for kids. Yeah. Uh, the part that's concerning is, of course, that we have tracks. So there's kids who are heading on to college and need access to academic information, and that has gotten better. Kids who are not heading on to college or who are less academic, that goes in cycles and sometimes the education those kids are given is uh, fabulous and they have options when they graduate and they have meaningful lifestyle choices and sometimes it's not and sometimes that population gets shunted into a side route. Well, they're not the ones giving us our nice test scores or they're not the ones following that academic track. Mm-hmm. and it's not just about kids with visual impairments, it's that whole group of kids with additional disabilities, Mm -hmm. some of whom are deaf-blind, some of whom are not. That group, there are more options It's a large large group it's the majority of our kids Mm -hmm. and i would love to see potential outcomes i would love to see a clearer picture for that rather than this kind of cycling where you know there's some agency support there's no agency support there's some community programs oops the funding has gone away Mm -hmm. they're they're very vulnerable to that and their families are very vulnerable and that that always concerns me i don't know if it's different or better but I know that it changes all the time mm-hmm. and I and I know in Texas we've had such huge changes in our adult community supports. I'd like to see that improve and I don't know
2: right. you know when it will happen. Yeah, it is it is interesting the tie in to funding and yeah. the economy yeah. and and the culture and all of those things, but mm-hmm. um, you know, in the end, it's the same kids, regardless of the funding or absolutely. the absolutely the kids are there <laughs> the their need for
0: meaningful lifestyles is there, yeah, and the need to support them in that is there, and the willingness is typically there, but
2: uh, pulling it all together yeah that part can be hard it's a challenge, yeah. So before you go, what words of advice do you have for me as I impossibly try to fill your shoes? Well, I'll just don't even try because I have kind of funny feet.
0: I would say fill your own shoes. I I think what you're going to find is how much fun you're going to have. And and that's what I would say. Kind of ride it. Enjoy it. Because there's nothing like the energy around here. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a good time. Mm -hmm. And then you know, overextend yeah. and do too much. <laughs> I would highly recommend that. <laughs> Sounds
2: about right. Yeah, I think you're, you're going to do that. And yeah. I say go for it. So I'm also new, myself and my family is also new to Austin and the state of Texas. So how can you help us Washingtonians fit in?
0: When I moved here uh, from New York, I was a vegetarian. And um, that made it really hard <laughs> because that has changed for me. And what I would say is, you know, you need to go find barbecue. Mm -hmm. Once you've got the food part down, the tacos, I saw you eating a taco and I was very happy about that. (laughs) Because that's kind of basically our bread and butter. And you've been to Barton Springs, you've been swimming. Yep. Okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. It's when you start saying y'all, Oh. (laughs) That you'll know that you're here.
2: That's the sign. Uh, To me, I I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will say today, one of our teachers hooked me up with a brisket taco. Excellent. And uh, that was amazing. (laughs) I I thought, if I have to eat this every day, this will be great. Yeah. That's right. See? So you're halfway there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you know an infant or toddler that may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530
2: week as we interview our guests, there's always going to be a couple terms that come up that are pretty familiar in our profession but might not be well known to everybody else. So this week, for a little more explanation, we're going to have Chris Tabb speak to you about the Expanded
3: Core Curriculum. I'm Chris Tabb, Statewide Orientation Mobility Consultant here at Outreach Programs at Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. The expanded core curriculum, or ECC, is a set of skills that we typically do not teach students because most learn incidentally by watching other people. As an example, we do not typically teach children how to play. They learn it naturally by watching others. But what if you could not see the activity? How would you know what was going on? How to jump in the game or how to initiate play? That is why one of the areas in the expanded core curriculum is recreation and leisure. We deliberately teach how to play. Social skills are another area of the ECC. How do you learn about nonverbal communication like body language or that we face the other person when talking when it is not something you can see or see well enough to understand. Again, we deliberately create lessons for teaching these skills as part of learning the expanded core curriculum. There are nine different areas that make up the ECC. One, social interaction skills. Two, recreation and leisure. Three, compensatory skills, skills that allow access to information such as braille and listening skills. Four, orientation mobility, learning to travel independently with a white cane and using public transportation. Five, assistive technology, tech tools like apps, screen reading software, even devices that tell you when your cup is full. Six, self-determination, knowing you are capable and competent despite stereotypes about the ability of a person who is blind or visually impaired. Seven, career education, learning about vocations in the world, finding mentors and learning about adaptations or accommodations. 8. Sensory efficiency, learning to use all your senses to access the surrounding environment, such as feeling the slope of a hill through proprioception, using a monocular telescope, or echolocation for orientation, and 9. Independent living skills, such as basic hygiene, making your bed, cooking, and shopping. These skills together provide students who are blind and with vision loss what is needed for independence through the lifespan.
2: Well, I learned a lot this week and I hope to continue to do so every episode, so I hope you'll continue to join us every couple of weeks. From the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time.
1: This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.